Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 75. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Fooliman, the hockey season is finally upon us. How are you enjoying the first three games? <laughs> I was enjoying the first eight periods so much. Um, yeah, I, I didn't see all of last night's game. I was a little bit out and about, but I caught kind of clips of it in uh, in bars and whatnot. That wasn't a terrific ending. That wasn't how I would have scripted it if it were up to me. So, no, it was not amazingly um, fun in that regard. But at the end of the day, the Leafs have five points from their first uh, three games. Hard mm-hmm. to complain about that. They, they certainly haven't uh, done anything that makes you think that, oh, you know, the sky's falling. Uh, the, the general mainstream media is going to be very pleased with that because generally if the results are there, by results, I mean points, then people are happy. Um, but, I mean, we were just talking about this off-air before we began. The Leafs haven't looked that convincing, have they? No, the Leafs look like a team that has uh, a couple of really gifted shooters and really one outstanding, maybe best-in-the-game-right-now shooter in Austin Matthews or close to it. And that's kind of what they're riding on. They haven't looked that impressive in most other respects, except I would say the third line has come into its own a bit. But they don't look like any kind of juggernaut in terms of controlling play, in terms of getting chances, which I know is something that uh, you were just looking at um, in terms of expected goals. Yeah. I mean, so the the team as a whole, if you basically buy whatever... Um, expected goals measure you look at it whether it's evolving hockeys or um, money pucks or Mike McCurdy's on ice threat they are below average right now and we shouldn't get carried away with this because it is three games so it's actually probably most instructive to look at the three games individually right Mm -hmm. Um, in the first game against Ottawa I think the Leafs kind of dummied a pretty bad Ottawa team right would you agree yeah I mean I think that's the simplest way to put it. It was not as close as, frankly, the score made it look, in my opinion, especially later on. Yeah. So it's so that that one was fine. Against Columbus, it kind of looked, and this to your point, it kind of looked like a team that had a good goaltender and gr- good shooters against a team that had a bad goaltender and not really elite shooters. Right? The, the Columbus had many many chances I, I recapped that game for ppp and some players did particularly well i think the matthews line was good uh the tafaro line was all right uh, the third line got absolutely dummied in in that particular mm-hmm. game but on the whole it wasn't an incredibly impressive 5v5 performance we can talk a bit about the power play as well too but we'll focus on 5v5 for now and then against montreal montreal kind of destroyed the Leafs in the first period. The Leafs came back a little bit in, in the second, and they, they actually, I believe they outcoursed um, Montreal in both the second and third period. Oh, no, sorry. They they did not. I, I am completely mistaken on that. Um, they had, what did that? Oh, their expected goals by natural stat trick was, was higher than the Habs in both the second and the third, which surprised me, although we've been told that Natural statrics expected goals model is a bit simplistic, so maybe we shouldn't really use that. The problem is their UI is like by far the best of any hockey site, so it's tempting to. Um, yeah. But anyways, it, it, it was not really an impressive showing. And then 
it almost seemed like one of those games where expected goals would overrate the least because there were some really ghastly defensive breakdowns, especially in the third period. Yeah, some of those goals looked like guaranteed. Like if you told me they had an expected goals of like 100, that's kind of how it felt in terms of just awful scrambles. Hutchinson isn't in the same postal code as the puck. Um, mostly because he's, you know, been drawn out of position trying to make crazy saves. The defense is just a complete scramble. Like, it looked very ugly. I don't want to say that any of this is foreordained, and, you know, it certainly could have ended in a close call, but it felt like they were blowing a lead pretty much as soon as the second goal against went in. Like, it seemed like they were like, okay, now there goes the roof, and they collapsed. It's not, you know, the end of the world that happens. But um, it was, I, I think, kind of a, a poor performance. I don't think the Leafs have done anything in these first three games to really look like any kind of juggernaut, any kind of dominant contender. And that's fine. It's three games. It's early. Guys are still, you know, remembering how to tie their skates correctly or remembering that you can't throw a broken stick at an opponent a rule that I thought everybody knew. I mean, in, in Kasperi Kapanen's defense, <laughs> it seems like the, NH- the NHL seems like the type of league that would be totally fine with throwing shrapnel at opponents. <laughs> That's just what could go hockey. wrong? <laughs> yeah. Sort of like an impromptu javelin. Um, you know what? Kasperi Kapanen has said he didn't know. And honestly, I think I believe him just because it was so... I believe him. He's just blatantly dumb. <laughs> it's it's bad. It's a bad oversight. And, you know, you have to think a little bit like, hmm, is this a good idea in the abstract? Like, I don't know. I, I'm still a little baffled when he says, like, I honestly didn't know, even though it's plausible because I guess, you know, he had to not know to do something so stupid. But it's like, that's a rule when you're like seven. That's very early. And that's maintained throughout, like, all the levels of hockey. Yeah. You can't throw your stick. If, you get, if your stick breaks, you're supposed to drop it. Even from those two things, you should infer that, like, throwing a broken stick is not going to go over super well. So I think that that was kind of kind of memorable. The thing is, I have is a that small, if, Yeah, I have a small ahead. defensive captain. So when I played tennis growing up, uh, I remember once in a, in a tournament, uh, some, some opponent of mine hit a winner that I couldn't get, and I just, like, kind of feebly threw my racket at it to see if, like, you know, you could get the one in a billion. Oh, it deflects off the racket flying through the air uh, mm-hmm. and somehow re- returns. That did not happen, obviously. Um, and later on, tournament officials were like, hey, don't, don't do that again. Mm-hmm. Right? So I didn't know that was a rule. Now, working against Kapanen, I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> if we hold Kapanen to the standards of an eight-year-old, I think that this is not that bad. But, you know... I mean, and you know what? It's one stupid mistake, and while it's a memorably stupid mistake, yeah, it's not and, really. And any also, worse I didn't throw it at anyone. anyone. That, that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you were trying to like. I mean, I know Cappy was trying to like knock the puck off the guy's stick, but yeah, I don't know. That was all just very frustrating. I yeah, the, equi- the equivalent yeah. in hockey would be like trying to throw your stick at a at a puck that's going towards an empty net, which is also yeah. not allowed. Yeah. Um. um. But yeah, so, you know. so anyways, <laughs> that stupid brain fart aside, I mean, that's going to kind of gobble the headlines, because especially because Kapanen hasn't been good to start the year mm-hmm. as well, and that line hasn't really been good to start the year. Um, but 
I don't think... I think most players on the Leafs were not particularly great against Ottawa. I think the top line, which for... I'm going to say the top line for now is the Matthews line, just for ease of reference, but that was their worst game of the of the season, of the three that they've played so far. I think they were they were very good in Ottawa. They were very good in um, in Columbus. They were quite poor, I thought, against uh, the Habs. And the defense especially was brutal. And I think three games in, it's fair to say that the, uh, the bloom has come off the rose of Cody Ceci. It was such a beautiful journey that we all went on together. There was hope. There was potential. There was last night where he was on for, I don't know, I feel like 12 goals against. I'm estimating. But... Three goals against. Oh, well. In his defense, he was on for two goals for. Yeah, well, you know. So, pro and con there. I I have to say, uh, you know, Justin Bourne's line on it was just that when you put Cody Ceci under pressure, he sometimes seems to just panic and if you can keep him away from pressure he looks kind of fine you know a lot of the time you're like oh that wasn't actually that bad um you know because he'll start making better decisions when he has time to process it and you know he has certain physical gifts that have partly led to him being overrated this long but you know we got into some scrambles last night and CC didn't cover himself with glory he's far from the sole offender to be clear on the leafs yes and yes the last thing we want to do is turn this into cody CC's the reason the leafs aren't good and th- yeah. he is not the reason the leafs aren't good i mean even even looking at it um let's look at for example jake muzzin and mm-hmm. tyson berry right jake muzzin right now uh is underwater in terms of expected goals Right, yeah. and I'm not saying that to say Jake Muzzin is the problem, but there are problems when Cody Ceci isn't on the ice as well. Yeah, I, I think that that's been clearly borne out. At the same time, you know, having to be the defensive conscience of Morgan Riley, yeah, that's is not an a easy job. A, yeah, that's a task at the best of times, and I do almost wonder if there's going to be some grudging, belated appreciation for Ron Hainsey. Um, that's not pretend Ron Hainsey was good at that. No, he wasn't great at it, but he did it, and he didn't get outscored. And how much of that was his doing? We'll never know, Arvind. We'll <laughs> never know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, it's often said, and it's fair to say that Morgan Riley's never really had a partner that's capable of keeping up with him and helping him out. Um, conversely, none of Morgan Riley's partners have been up to the task of babysitting Morgan Riley. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way to Riley, who's, I think, a very good player, but he is the type of player who is going to make mistakes by nature of his game, mm-hmm. right? He, he's going to have some times where he needs someone to rescue him, and none of his partners have been able to do that. Yeah, and so that's kind of where we ended up. And, you know, I have to say I wonder about Cody CC as the person doing that job. I think against soft competition, that pairing is going to look fine. And I think that beyond that we may have to start thinking okay what's the plan b here especially when travis dermott comes back although well i don't want to get ahead of myself with the depth battles but i think rasmus sandin who maybe comes up next has looked good and yet he's being played so little despite appearing in all three games that i sort of think is the intent just to give him a taste here and send him down? Because if you're serious about him, you don't really play him, you know, eight, nine minutes a night as a defenseman, do you? Yeah, he, he's averaging 10 minutes a night of 5v5. 
Okay. So which is not know, I mean that's more, that's but like it's not much. No, no, that that is very third pairing uh play. And we'll need to wait for a larger sample to to really make use of this, but my guess is also most of those are low leverage minutes. Yeah, I mean from everything that we know about how Mike Babcock uses his third pair given a choice, I'd have to think so and maybe it's just we're easing him in slowly. He is after all new to the league. But you you know in he's 19, couple, right? 19 as a yeah. defenseman. That, that's not, um, it's not very often that you see players like that make big differences in the league. And the ones who do, like Miro Heiskinen or uh, Rasmus Dahlin, they're hugely hyped for good reason. Yeah, they're like they're superstar players. And so, yeah, I mean, this might just be a process or something, but we are still playing uh, Riley, Cece, uh, Barry Muzzin. Like, we're playing them well into the 20s in minutes which yeah. is really heavy usage for this early time in the season pretty much every night. So I don't know exactly where we're going in terms of uh, Sandin. I think he's looked generally good. I think he's been pretty impressive. I think you can have Sandin and Marincin in a third pair. And as long as you're not asking the world of them, they're going to be just fine or even better than just fine. But I do wonder what the thinking is when Travis Dermott comes back. Because as we've discussed, there's going to be a salary cap squeeze. And Rasmus Sandin makes 894 uh, against the cap. So we don't know where that's going to come. Um, there's something to yeah. keep an eye on at this point. Yeah, and we also need to see what we have in Dermott, like for real, right? So... Mm-hmm. Certainly this 10 minutes a game for the third pair doesn't really make sense when he comes back because it's like, well, why, why are you even having him here then? If you're going to use him that little, you're not really getting the benefit of having someone like Travis Dermott on your third pair. Yeah. Um, and, and so you wonder, is the top four just set in stone? I mean, Mike Babcock hasn't shown a ton of confidence in Travis Dermott playing top four minutes yet. I have to say, I don't know about the CC experiment. Like, how far are we going to get? And I, again, I want to emphasize it's far from him alone being the problem here. But I do think, like, I'm hoping that will be passable. But it's hard for me to see that pairing putting up such results where we definitely think we can't or shouldn't break them up when Dermot comes back. Like, I think we'll be thinking, gee, I think maybe it's time to consider other options here. Um, I may be a little biased because, again, he had a rough night at the races last night. But I, I just think there's so much evidence against Cody Cece being an effective top four defenseman. And I think he'll be better than he was. I think he can be a decent third pair defenseman. Maybe a little more than that. But I do think that that's a notable weakness among the many that have displayed themselves in the first, the early going. Yeah, so. and... I'm not sure if we've mentioned this already, but it, we were on the second half of a back-to-back against Montreal. We were. Um, mm-hmm. People have said, oh, it's the first three games of the season. Fatigue shouldn't uh, happen that way. I, that's not how the human body works. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, let's say you're fully well-rested for, I don't know, uh, two 10K races on back-to-back days. It's still going to suck, that second 10K race. Right? Yeah, you're still you, gonna be tired. you don't have recovery time. Yeah, yeah. Just, you, you like your body doesn't. We're not camels. We can't like store recovery. Mm-hmm. Right, like, that's not how camels work. They store fat I think, <laughs> in their humps. Uh, this has been. If you know more about camels, please advise us in the comments. This has been the biology hour. We're back to excited. 
<laughs> but yeah, like yeah, it, but but it's true, you know. And I think you know it's a reflection of people getting frustrated with the early going because they don't have much of a sample, and it's one game against the Habs, and it sucks to lose it. Yeah, and it especially sucks the way we lost it, right? That's mm-hmm. that, that's not fun. And I mean, look, the the caveat: if anyone says it was four one, you you can say second night of a back to back, we had our backup goalie, like walk on, right? Yeah. But still, you don't like blowing leads. Um, the positives are that, I guess, Austin Matthews is just doing this every October now, where he, he for some reason, in October, like, goalies just have no idea what to do with him. He just scores from everywhere. It makes no sense. Yeah, he's been insane. And I don't know if it's just a fluke. I don't know if it's just, you know, the league hasn't tightened up yet enough that people are getting to cover him in time or something like that. But the thing but... is, he's not getting great chances. He's just scoring a lot, mm-hmm. right? And 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 he normally th- does get great chances, it's yes. worth noting. Yes, so this is something I wrote about Austin Matthews, I think, before last season. So I think after his second year in the league, where he's very unique as a goal scorer because, broadly speaking, there are three ways to excel as a goal scorer in the NHL. Um three kind mm-hmm. of mathematical or like data-oriented ways to, to exceed as a goal scorer. There's many kind of methods by which you can do this, but you can be an above-average goal scorer because you take a lot more shots than most players because you take a lot more sh- good shots than most players. So like you take high-quality shots or because you convert shots at a higher rate than other players do. And Matthews is basically the only player in the world who does all three. Mm-hmm. He takes just his volume of shots is... Among the highest in the league, right? He's, I think the only person who clearly outclasses him in that regard is Ovechkin. His shot quality is among the highest in the league, especially when you account for the volume of shots that he takes. Um, just like in the NBA, there's like an inverse, inverse relationship between shot volume and shot efficiency, usually. If you're taking a lot of shots, you're normally taking some easy-to-get shots, which are low-quality shots, shots from the board, shots from the points, things like that. And as we all know, Matthews is an elite shooter. He converts at those... Uh, he converts the chances that he gets at a much higher than average rate. Now, this year, he and the Leafs as a whole have not really been getting great chances, right? If you compare the Leafs' expected goal rates, on ice expected goal rates now to last year, almost all of them are behind their last year rates. And again, it's three games. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. All we're saying is what has happened. None of this necessarily means, oh, this is what the Leafs are. They're a bad offensive team now, I think. Our prior about the Leafs is too strong to let three games overrule that. Yeah. But it is a little worrisome. If you look at the Leafs' shot map, normally in the last three years since Matthews, Nylander, and Marner have been in the league, there's been this gigantic clump of shots basically right in the goal mouth, like right on top mm-hmm. of the goalie. That hasn't existed this year yet. And with the caveat that NHL tracking data is bad and we're looking at a small sample, which means we're kind of increasing the variance of like a couple bad plotting results makes the least look kind of toothless. It, they haven't looked like they've gotten the same sort of high quality chances as before. And I, do, I don't know if something has changed stylistically where they're trying to shoot more from the high slot as opposed to the low slot. But it's it's been odd and it's a little concerning because that's the Leafs thing. The Leafs thing is we devour your defensive zone with shots from the best areas of the ice. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if that's something that's conscious in terms of Austin Matthews is shooting from distance a little bit more. It's kind of skewed also. We have a new power play structure, which is not going into the 5-on-5 data, but it is where we're getting some goals. 
So, you know, the goals are going to stand out more in your memory, and you'll think that's what he's doing. Um, yeah, at, at this point, I'm just, all I can say is wait and see on that front, right? It, it just, we need more time to see if this plays itself out and to see if it's just, you know, a fluke of one week's games against teams. But if the Leafs aren't getting high-quality chances and their defense hasn't improved, which, sorry to say, I don't think it has, that is a problem. You know, then we're just saying, okay, we're a team that can shoot, and we have a good goaltender, and that's fine. That gets you somewhere. But it's hard to seriously contend with that. You know, the Capitals are probably the closest, but the the Capitals have to have the greatest goal scorer of all time. So... (laughs) You know, um, and, and the Capitals were a team that also one of the only teams I think that changed, that looked drastically better, um, when people looked at expected goals that incorporated passing data. Yeah, like the movement on the puck before they shot it, which isn't normally in these things, really favored them, uh, and you know, intuitively, that kind of makes sense. And they also have a dynamite power play, um, which we might. You know, it's hard to see how this is uh, necessarily going to play out. It looks great now. Our, our power play scored a billion goals in the first few games last year, too. And so it's it's a little tentative right now. I don't get the impression, looking at this team as a whole, that it has fixed anything substantial. Yeah. They look like the same sort of team that they were before, except I think, and I'm going to blow the trumpet on this one a little bit here, uh, Tavares and Marner miss Zach Hyman at even strength more than a lot of people thought they would. And Kasperi Kapanen thus far has not looked really like he fits on the left side of that line. I'm hoping that, you know, he'll settle in and get a little better there, but I think it's clear that that Tavares-Marner line, as much as Hyman is by far the third best player on it, he benefited that group in a meaningful way. And I will not be moved off that opinion. So there. I mean, you have three games worth of data that shows that. And I don't, I don't mean that sarcastically. Like it, it Hyman. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't think it's an accident that Hyman always finds his way onto, you know, kind of the top of the leagues or around the top of the league in terms of like possession impact and things like that. He he, he seems like a guy who actually does provide a lot of value in that way and it's complicated by the fact that he's always been with two high skill players right he he's put in the best mm-hmm. situation for his for his skills right where he can do the digging in the puck retrieval and he gets it to guys who know what to do with the puck but that's a right. legitimately very very useful skill yeah and you know it's after a while, you just have to start saying, okay, this guy is a consistent component of lines that work. And as much as that seems like it should be easy, I think we have a lot of evidence that that's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. You know, I, given enough time, Kapan and Tavares Marner, I think there's too much talent to be denied there. They'll get to a solid working state. But I think it's, you know, when Zach Hyman comes back, I think he's going to walk right into that spot. And then... Where Kasperi Kapanen goes is kind of an interesting question after that, because the third line has generally looked pretty good to me. They weren't terrific in Columbus, but I think Mikhaev has impressed everyone and also super endeared himself to us by his love of soup. And Trevor Moore looks like a man possessed. He's always got, you know, a lot of energy. He's always got um, that kind of drive to his game. 
but he looks more than that, frankly. Like, I, I thought for a long time, I was like, oh, Trevor Moore might be a very, very good fourth liner. And I'm kind of inching my expectations of him up a little bit. I'm hoping it's not just me being dazzled by the fact that he's playing a game, but I think certainly the fact that we have him on a contract that pays him 775 grand next year is going to be nice because he looks like a real full-time NHLer, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I want to talk more about the third line, but before we do, I just want to compare a couple stats of the Leafs offensively this year to last year to kind of underscore the point we were talking about. So in terms of, uh, and again, it's three games where all we're describing is what has happened, not what will happen. Um, The Leafs have basically the same shot rate for in terms of Corsi and Fenwick. They're within one Corsi event per 60 of um, where they were last year. But the expected goals have dropped off from 2.77 per 60 minutes last year to 2.18 this year. That's a fairly significant difference. And again, it's three games don't want to overreact but the Leafs haven't the the Leafs shot quality has been particularly worse and it's not just an issue of oh they're taking more shots that are blocked which don't account which aren't accounted for in expected goals because their Fenwick is exactly the same last year to this Mm -hmm. year it's just different shot quality now the Leafs actually have been slightly better defensively by this measure but not enough to offset their their change in offense so as a result they're underwater in expected goals right now that's not a good thing but Again, three games. We'll see what happens. Things can change pretty drastically. Um, but I just wanted yeah. to talk about that to underline the point that we're that we're making about the Leafs not really be generating the chances at five v five that we expect them to. Um, so, yeah, the third line really has been nice, as you said. Mikhaev is a very wholesome uh, kind of <laughs> fan favorite right now because. He works his ass off, and he, he doesn't know much English, but he, it's clear he's, he's trying, and he's trying to integrate himself into the, into the dressing room, and it just seems like a very pure guy. Um, and and yeah. it's nice to see, especially we've had like a lot of crappy news stories about the Leafs, um, and there's been a lot of frustration in the fan base, so it's, it's nice to have like a very wholesome uh, guy be on the team and succeed, right? He, he's done well. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it wouldn't shock me to see Mikhaev replace Kapanen on the second line before mm-hmm. Hyman comes back. It's not out of the question. Uh, I, I mean, if you're saying, okay, who's been better the last three games? It's been Mikhaev. I think it's and, and Mikhaev, and even, I don't think it's close. Even so. besides <laughs> the points, right? Like, it, yeah. even if Mikhaev hadn't scored, even he doesn't have two points. Like, that third line has had two great games and one crappy game. And the... The Tavares line has had three pretty meh games to my eye. At even strength, that's for sure. Yes, which at five v five, really bear yeah. on Cabin. Yeah, so yeah, I think that is something that you certainly think about. On the other hand, you have a third line that is kind of working, and so there's maybe an incentive to just say, okay, we'll just keep rolling that one out a little bit. I don't think Mike Babcock wants to play his fourth line any more than he has to. Notwithstanding, Frederick Gauthier has like. Well, you know what? I say he's been fine, but his numbers are actually kind of gross. So, I don't know. He looks okay to me. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, there are a lot of options there in terms of that third line maybe moving up or down a little bit. 
Yeah. Um, y- you want to get like the Tavares line is going to have to get going at some point. They're yeah, and p- way part of it is just not to. So. It's the expectations as well. We expect them to be like a top ten line in the league, right? And they may be getting a bit unlikely. Their Fenwick is drastically trailing their Corsi, which means there's a lot of shots that's been that have been blocked. Um, mm-hmm. which may not, which means which don't count for expected goals as I mentioned before, and that may just be kind of a, a small sample blip where for some reason a lot of their shots are blocked but they're actually good chances who knows but to my eye they haven't looked amazing um the power play has been very good yeah on the power play too it's like the points have been there yes um, a lot of it's on the power play yeah and that's what i mean is you know i'm definitely allowing my eye test to go a little bit here but i just i've never been all that impressed with that second slash sort 1B line yet this season, and I'm hoping that that kind of turns around soon. But, um, yeah. I mean, I know, I recognize that this sounds a little bit silly when you're like, okay, Mitch Marner is, like, tied for second in the league in points right now. <laughs> um, in this very early going, so it's like, it's not by any means disastrous. I'm just saying we want that line to dominate. I think they can dominate, and they haven't yet. So... I guess that's where we're at, is waiting for that to kind of either gel together with Kapanen on the left wing or for a replacement to be made. And I wonder a little bit if having such a memorable and glaring mistake by Kapanen is a bit of an impetus to move him around there. Or, you know, but you can look at it the other way and Mike Babcock is going to say, okay, that was just one really glaring example of something he didn't know. We're going to move past it. We're not going to make a huge deal out of it. Shit happens. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there's a change in the forward lines. That's for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, on the depth side of things, because um, we did want to discuss that a little bit. Spezza, I think, it has the, the lead above Nick Shore in, uh, in, in, in that kind of fourth line race, mostly because Nick Shore hasn't really done anything. At least he hasn't done anything positive. No, he's been kind of just there. The only time I notice him is when he t- took a penalty against Montreal. Yeah, that's not what you want. No. So, um, yeah, I don't think, and I say this as someone who's, you know, been keen on him in the past for, you know, numbers and other reasons. But, yeah, I don't think he's dazzled. Uh, I don't also think Timashov has done all that much. Um, I thought the line with Patan and Goche. Sorry, and Goji and Spezza looked better than the other fourth lines. Yes, but at the same time, they got uh, so, like yeah. six minutes of ice time against like Columbus's fourth thing. line. So it's the, the tiniest. Nothing. It's the tiniest of yeah. small samples, right? It, it's literally the smallest yeah. single game sample you can get. Yeah, unless you're playing Cold Nor. But uh, yeah, so I don't know if if it's even worth making too much out of that, other than to note. Spetsa may have endeared himself to Mike Babcock a little bit after that opening night scratch, and Nick Shore has probably not done so. And the thing is, is, you know, we're saying, oh, well, these are only fourth-line minutes, and that's true, but in about ten games tops, um, someone's going to have to win and someone's going to have to lose the fourth-line job because guys are going to start returning from injury and guys will have to be waived. Yeah. So while we're going to get a bigger sample, it may not be all that huge by the time decision day comes. So we'll see. Yeah, and on the defense side, it's it's Marinson overhaul. 
Yeah. Paul's uh, played one on. game, and he played he played less than Jason Spezza did in that game. Yeah, the thing about Justin Hall is that Mike Babcock will play him if there was a gun to his head, and probably not otherwise. Like, unless there's some sort of hostage situation. <laughs> I don't think he wants to be playing Justin Hall. Um, I have to admit, I also maybe have never quite seen the Justin Hall experience in the same light as seemingly a lot of people who think, oh, he just needs a chance, he just needs a chance. Like, he generally does not look that great to me, but what do I know, I suppose? Yeah, I, uh, I kind of... Like, he yeah, looks... I, I feel like he'd be okay-ish as a... He could probably survive as a third-pairing defender, but it's like, we have no shortage of those. Yeah, we have probably five guys who are not in the lineup right now who could do that. Yeah, and, and like, okay, sure, let's say he's 4% better than Jordan Smaltz. Great, awesome. Like, it, there's not a lot of upside <laughs> to me, right? And, and he's... Hall is not young for a hockey player. He's 27. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's a, the, the big virtue that Justin Hall has is that he's very inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And so depending on how things pan out, that may be advantageous to keep him as the spare. Yeah, and he's no, also I, used to being in the press box. So, I mean, I, I, think, but, I think that's what it's set up to do. Mm-hmm. Right. I think he's going to be the seventh defenseman once Dermot comes back. Because Marinson is comparably more expensive. But I think Babcock prefers Marinson, and I don't think the preference is that small in his mind. No, I don't think so at all. And so it, it'll be interesting to, to see how that decision gets made. I'll be, yeah, I'll be stunned if, absent injury, this ends with Justin Hall being in the top six. Mm-hmm. I just I don't think that's going to happen, so... Yeah, I've already mentioned about about Sandine, and I'm not sure how that's that's going to play out. I mean, it's been mostly an encouraging audition in that, like, he can play limited third pair minutes and not implode, which at 19 is already an achievement. I think, you know, you have every reason to be encouraged about him going forward, but I don't know that we're going to see that much of him this year. I'm... I'm wondering where his ice time goes in the next few games, because as it is, it looks to me like we're just giving you a taste, and then you're being sent down. So, we'll see. Yeah, but then you also, you hear Babcock talk about him, and he, he's quite effusive, right? He he is, and I think that that is sincere, but there is also the kind of artifice of, we want to give you some encouragement and something to think about so that you work really hard in the AHL and you get back up here for good next season. Yeah, You know, it's like, we, we love you, we're very high on your potential, we believe in you, you're terrific, you just gotta go down there and work on X, X, and Y, and then we'll love to bring you right back up, maybe even for the playoffs, you know, who knows. Um, and I could be misreading this, it's way too early, I don't think anyone knows, I'm not sure McDapcock knows in his own head what he wants to do here, but just kind of the vibe that I'm getting is, you know, he's not being asked to do a whole lot, and so the pressure no, he, of... He, cer- he certainly isn't. You know, right? No, and so the pressure of roster size and all that, and, you know, salary cap, might just be enough to move a guy who isn't being relied on to do a whole lot. Yeah, and, I mean, it's hard to tell, because the games that we've had have been fairly special teams heavy, but there's been a bit of scrambling where you see Sandine with Barry for a shift, or with... Um, I saw him with CC for a shift, I get... That might have just been post-special team scrambling, but 
in every game, his time on ice has exceeded his partner's. Now, that's to be expected because he's strong offensively. So you can steal a couple shifts for him on icings, right? You can say, okay, let, let's go Sandin Riley, right? Mm-hmm. Um, off, off this icing, if maybe if Barry Muzzin just played. But, yeah, his usage is going to be something we have to keep an eye on. It, it's too early to say right now what's going to happen with, I think, with any certainty. But we'll see. Um, do you want to talk about the power play? Yeah, and so... <laughs> I mean, it's working at the moment. I think it's hard to deny. Um, and maybe it will continue to work. I know you're not like 100% sold on it right now, though. I'm not. Um, <clears throat> I think there are... I Okay, I don't think it's inherently stupid. I, like, I think Montreal's power play is inherently stupid. <laughs> yeah, point shots. Yeah, God, that four-on-three power play they had in overtime. On, I, I know teams don't work on four-on-three that much. But they're treating Shea Weber like he's Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> yeah, that and was really like, stupid. <laughs> bro, you, you are a great defenseman. You are a Hall of Fame player. You are not Alex Ovechkin. Why, why are you setting up for these gigantic slap shots that mix the net half the time? It's just... a so dumb as a setup so dumb and you, the truth is is you can see it coming a mile away it's which no really disguise. mitigates the advantage of a four on three it's like you know i could have told you yet like yesterday morning what the four on three setup would be for the abs if they got one you have one of the best um, net front guys in the league and brendan gallagher and he's just he's just chilling there he's doing nothing on that power play <laughs> yeah hope hope there's a rebound which is great but it's like you can do more than this and it is kind of remarkable to me that they don't, because um, that's the glaring problem with their system. Is on a, you know they seem to defer to their captain too much. But anyway, about the leaves, um, you were saying. Yeah. So having Marner and Matthews on their offsides has it's already produced some dividends. It's, it's we the Leafs have created some goals that certainly could not have happened last year. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, at the same time, a couple of their goals have just been Matthews walks in and shoots and snipes it. Right, and you can say, "Oh, he's on the left side now, so that he's a better angle." He did that a lot last year too. Yeah. Right, and that's just Matthews has a special shot; he can do that. Um, the goal on the power play last night was Nylander walks in and goes five hole. I-, I don't know if Nylander caught all of that. That was a very weird shot location, and I was shocked that it went in when I saw the shot location. You don't often beat goalies five hole from the dot. As an aside. A lot of people are talking about, like, the majesty of Carey Price this morning, and I'm like, really? He let in five goals. He was good in the shootout. He was yeah, good in the shootout. He was good in overtime. Five... Made some big saves in overtime. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But he he like... let in five goals. I, you know. Uh, and the Leafs... You usually lose when that happens. And as we covered, <laughs> the Leafs were not generating, you know, absurd chances at five on five regularly. Price, has made... Price made some excellent saves. Don't get me wrong. But... If his name were not Carey Price, people would be saying, oh, that was a pretty good performance. Yeah, they say, oh, we battled back after, you know, some tough breaks. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. But, yeah, so, like, I guess I'm kind of ambivalent on the Leafs' power play right now. There's parts of it I like. I thought the um, Marner goal against Columbus, that I love that. Because it it subverted expectations, right? Um, Corpusato pushed further to um, the middle because he thought Tavares was going to bump it over to, to Matthews or he didn't ex- and he had to look around uh, Janssen's screen 
the immediate bump back to Marner and Marner being smart enough to realize, hey, I've like a pretty open net here. That that was a really mm-hmm. smart play. I like that. That's not a play that would have worked last year with our setup. At the same time, we're, we're not really generating the volume of shots that we did last year. Um, setting aside, I don't think much has changed in terms of how they try and achieve their setup. So there are mm-hmm. issues with that against Montreal aside. Um, there are some times where there's a couple shots we get, and it, they're they're not amazing shots. Right. Right? Um, so, like, I'm not saying the power play is for sure worse than last year, but I don't think there's any argument for it being clearly better right now. Yeah. I mean, well, right now, Austin Matthews is shooting 32%. Yeah. So just, like, I know that I'm kind of going back to first principles on this one, but it's just, like, you probably got to keep in the back of your head, like, right now things are going pretty hot in a way that they probably won't continue to do. And then over time, we'll get an idea of how good this power play really is. I'm, I'm willing to try it for sure. Like I'm willing to wait and see and say, okay, let's see how this pans out. Absolutely. But yeah, I I do think that um, if people are saying, you know, it's fixed, it's guaranteed that we're going to have a top, top power play. We certainly could. We've got a hell of a uh, a group on there. But I do just think, you know, after like two games, there were people saying it's like, Cody Cece has proven his doubters wrong. It's like, here we are. Yeah. And so this again, is not a time to get, yeah. For what it's worth, the, the least power play expected goals for this year is much lower than, than last year. Again, tiny, tiny, tiny sample size. And expected goals on the power play can be tricky because... Um, Pre-shot movement, you know, we covered this with Alan, but pre-shot movement is not really part of these expected goals models, and that matters more on the power play than on even strength. And the Leafs' power play right now is certainly more dependent on puck movement than uh, shot location, right? Like that Mitch Marner shot against Columbus is not a good shot um, in a vacuum, but it's a good shot when you look at how the puck moved prior to that, right? So, mm-hmm. again, not saying the power play is bad. It, it's, it's a different look. I, I think it has some good ideas for sure. I'm just not convinced it is clearly better than last year's. And it very well could be, and I hope that it is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's intuitive, right? Like, it looks good, you know, when when Matthews just rifles a shot like that, and you think that's why you draw it up. Mm -hmm. But we're going to see as we kind of, as things even out over time, as we kind of revert to reality, how exactly we're generating stuff. Because, again... Uh, you know, Matthews is on pace for 123 goals. He's probably not going to do that, even if it feels like it some nights. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. It, it's we, we can't overstate how early it is, really, um, and how <laughs> yeah. that makes... Like, currently, the team leading the league in Corsi is Buffalo. They're at, like, 62%. They, like, they dummied yeah, I don't know the Penguins <laughs> on opening night, and then they blitzed the Devils. It just mollywopped them. And, like... Maybe the Sabres are better than we thought, but I'm I'm not expecting that to hold up. No. Right? No, so I'm not, I'm not too concerned there. Yeah, so th- things happen. So. Um, everything we're saying now is just, here's what we have observed. We, we can make no guarantees about how it'll continue going forward. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that my bottom line in the first three games is that this is clearly a very talented team. Yeah. And talent gets you a long way. I do not think that they have fixed anything that was substantially wrong last year. I'm going to guess that the things that look like they were strengths and are now kind of 
fraying a bit. I think that'll mostly work itself out. Like, I'm not too worried that this team is actually forgetting how to generate scoring chances. I yeah. think that'll be fine. Though it is worth and noting, I think... we did lose Nazem Kadri, who is phenomenal at doing just that. Yeah, that, like, you know, that's not nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, as much as, you know, we've raped about the third line, it's probably still not as good as when it had Nazem Kadri on it. No, so... Nazem Kadri is a wonderful, wonderful hockey player. Yeah. Alas. But, you know, I think that looking at this, you can say bottom line, like, look, we're still scoring, and we took five points in three games, and that's quite good, mm-hmm. and that's all fine. I just, I can't say I've been awed by the performance so far, except in terms of Austin Matthews is certainly a, as good a shooter as I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So As an aside, I feel like the two most underrated Leafs in recent memory by, like, by casual fans are Nazem Kadri and James Van Riemsdyk. I don't know what happened with JVR either. Like, I, I guess it was, you know, like, he just plays on bad teams and we had too much time to think about his defensive flaws and something and like that. And to be clear, he is awful defensively. Oh, very bad. But he is as good as maybe anyone in terms of his ability to operate and score goals in the net front area. Like, he's big enough to be very hard to move. He has terrific hands. And he produces. And he produced in droves for us. Um, and year even, in, year out. Even in Philadelphia, like last year, his possession numbers were, were crap, but he, he scores goals. He scores lots of yeah. goals. And I think people who, who criticize Mike Babcock should also point out that he found the perfect usage for JVR and for Bozak. Um, Katya has this chart we like to, he, uh, she likes to tweet out of JVR's career goals above replacement year by year. And it's like pretty middling until Babcock comes, then it shoots up for two years, and then it goes down last year again in Philly. Babcock mm-hmm. has gotten the most out of JVR compared to anyone, any other coach in the league, right? Because he, he... Ditto Tyler Bozak. Yeah, he quickly yeah. identified, okay, this guy, if we shelter him, he's going to be great, right? Shelter him and play him with a, a brilliant um, creator in Mitch Marner. And JVR is good enough mm-hmm. to take advantage of that. But, like, it, not just anyone can score 35 goals, even played, playing with Mitch Marner. Mm-hmm. Right? And even last year, I think JVR was on pace for like 36 goals. He got injured a bit, but he had a ridiculous goal rate. Yeah. It just, you know, we see people talking about, I mean, I, I think we maybe are thinking the same thing. We saw someone make a comparison of like, Igor Korshkov was going to be like the next JVR, but better defensively. And that, I mean, that's nuts. Like, yes. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's like JVR is so much better at scoring goals point blank than... 99.99999% of the people who've ever played hockey. You know, like, he's just, he's in a league of his own, almost. Um, you know, I can think of a few guys who are in his league in terms of net front play, but, like, he's really good. Yeah, like, like Joe really Pavelski is the other guy consistent. who immediately comes to mind. Pavelski is terrific. Um, but, you know, it's hard to be a consistent 30-goal man in the NHL, and I think people sometimes don't realize how rare it is to sustain that production because, you know, a lot of guys can do it for a year, but to do it year in, year out, or close to it over, you know, six, seven, eight years in a row, yeah, that ain't nothing. So, yeah, definitely not. Anyway. Brendan Gallagher, Josh Anderson, I think, are other really good uh, mm-hmm. net front guys. I'm trying to think of, of any more off the top of my head um, that are in JVR's class. Oh, I mean, it's, a little, it's a little difficult. Yeah, um, I mean, Matthew Kachuk. Oh, yeah. 
Well, um, yeah. Matthew Kachuk's brilliant. Yeah, and unfortunately, so is Brady Kachuk. Oh, God. They're so fucking annoying, too. Yeah, I know. Anyway. <laughs> it's terrible. But, yeah. I mean, look, for all we dunk on Ottawa, and we'll continue to do so, they've made some great picks. And I thought Kachuk was the reach over Zadina. Oh, yeah. At the time. I did and as well. And now it, it looks... It looks like Kachuk is going to be very good for them. So, la-di-da. But, uh, yeah, it's just something to uh, to note about. I think it's one of those things where going through the ups and downs that our franchise went through over the last 10 years, where we were very bad and disappointing with glimmers of false hope, and now we're at a more sustainable level of quality, it, it has warped the views of some of the players who were here during that era, and I think JVR is the best example, so, yeah. Yep, very much. I, I, I agree with that. Um, I agree with that completely. Yeah, so so we were going to do something. We're trying to innovate here at Back to Excited. I, don't, I want you to know that we're not resting on our laurels and our well-earned uh, <laughs> credibility that we have. Um, we thought we would try and engage with certain opinions that we hated, that we didn't like or strongly disagreed with. We were going to look at some of the worst takes, and we were originally just going to have one, but it turns out that once Arvin and I started looking for this, uh, we're bad people with a lot of negativity in our hearts. And so we each came up with like five, which we're not going to do because then it'll be a 15-hour podcast. But we did want to look at some of those takes and like what exactly we object to about them, you know, in terms of the conversation that's going on around the game. So I, I ended up having one and Arvin has one. Yep. So would you like to go first or? Sure. Um, so my bad take was from uh, Noted Leafs and Marley's um watcher tra stat tracker uh jeff Vayette. and i have a lot of respect for uh jeff's work ethic and what he's done with the marty's he's been consistently um one of the, the few people who genuinely watches a lot of the marty's and has um insights about them that are not just based on his points like whatever i often disagree with him but i never question kind of the process by which his thoughts come out i i think he's intellectually you know honest with his opinions for the most part but this, he, he tweeted something that I, I think was very wrong and wrong in a way that is annoying to me because it, it seems almost like a parody of why, of the people who criticize Mike Babcock. So he said this on October 2nd, which was the Leafs' um, home opener. Uh, he said, Timoshov and Sandine are great reminders that the best play we see from Marley's call-ups is always the first few games after they get called up because they're still playing the Marley system and don't know how to keep it simple yet. Just like Moore, Dermott, Hall, Janssen, etc. And with all due respect to Jeff, I just think that's completely wrong. Um, for one, I, I, I question just the assertion that the best play we see from Marty's are the first few games after they get called up. I don't think that's true. I, I famously remember that Kapanen and, and Janssen, they looked good in the fourth line, but like they've looked better since. They, their, their best play was last year when they started playing with mm -hmm. higher-end players and their talents could really express themselves, right? Um, I never thought Hall really looked impressive at all, apart from the fact that he scored two goals in two games, mostly kind of just by luck. 
right? I'd like to also note that those two games were against the Islanders and the Rangers in a year where both of those teams were complete garbage. Like, he had a shooting percentage of 100. He played very soft minutes against very bad teams midway through the year when both teams knew they were very bad. I'm just saying, I don't think you can infer anything at all about Justin Hall from those two games. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, he clarified this in a, in a later tweet where he says, I don't mean that <coughs> players who get called up plateau in terms of ability, but just that stylistically they lose some of the traits that set them apart as different once they transition from one system to the other. And without specifying what traits they lose, I, I again, I just don't agree with this. Like You can say that they play a different system, sure, but the, the traits that Trevor Moore had in the Marlies are still the traits that I think of when he's playing in the NHL. And again, Jeff watches more of the AHL than either of us do. Maybe he's onto something here, but there's just no... There's no backup for any of this. It's just an assertion that is not really grounded by anything in reality. Like, the, the traits that define more from what I can see and hear of him and read of him in the AHL was his motor, right? And that's the trait that defines him in the NHL as well. His his tenacity, the fact that he's always moving, that the fact that uh, he's a smart player with really good wheels. The Leaf system and Marley system, I don't think have drastically changed the way Trevor Moore plays or the, the value he provides to a team. The other thing is, like, with there's a lot of Leafs players who have uh, graduated from the Marlies at this point. Like, does the same thing apply to William Nylander? He played on the Marlies for a year and a half. Right? Mm-hmm. What about um, what about Zach Hyman? Again, the traits that everyone said existed about Zach Hyman in the age are the exact same traits that we hear now. And, in fact, he's improved dramatically and stylistically he's i think the same guy hyman is a player i did actually watch a fair bit of in the ahl because when neander was there i tried to watch as many ahl games as i could Mm -hmm. right and so i i just really i don't understand the point he's making here and it seems like someone who is and this is reductive but it just seems like marley's good leaf's bad thank you for your time like i don't think that's a valid point without any further assertions or without any further kind of discussion about what traits they lose and what that even means really i think mike babcock has reached the point he's long since reached the point with a certain segment of the leafs fan base of the twitter community what have you where once you accept that he's bad it gets easier to say things that are critical of him or implicitly critical of him, which are just kind of accepted. And if you also accept that Sheldon Keefe is good because the Marlies play offensively and he's Kyle Dubas' choice to coach the AHL team and some people think he's the heir apparent to Babcock, I think it's one of those things where it just fits into... The word narrative has gotten so overused, but it fits into the idea that people have as to how things work. Um, I think there are legitimate objections to Mike Babcock, and I think that if the Leafs don't do better this year in terms of getting out of the first round, he's probably going to get fired. But I don't think that it's enough to just assert that he is doing something to break these players in terms of their verve or offensive creativity and i have to tell you if it's based on the eye test i don't see that at all like i'm seeing a lot of players who are impressing 
uh, with, you know, all sorts of things. I mean, I think Trevor Moore right now looks better than he ever has in this very early going. Um, it just, it is a little frustrating to me when we get to this point where there's no longer any point, you know, sort of doing a, a genuine look at this sort of thing where it's just like, it just feels like Mike Babcock is ruining the team again. Well, I don't quite buy that. Yeah, and um, to add more clarity to this, so. Jeff had, in his original tweet, Jeff had a, a second tweet added onto it where he says, like, the scenario is like, I'm already gets graduated, and people are like, wow, he carries the puck, he resets the play, he's always in good spots and never willingly conceded possession. And three weeks later, people are like, well, I, I mean, he's still talented, but I feel like something's missing. And I don't, again, I don't know if that's the case. I, I think with Travis Dermott in particular, those things that we talk about, and he, he's the example of, oh, yeah, he, he doesn't like conceding possession, he, he carries the puck, he does reset the play a lot. Those are still things that define him, right? And mm-hmm. I also think it's kind of a natural thing for, unless a player falls flat on his face in his debut, people will generally be like, hey, yeah, he, he looked all right. He, he, he could handle himself. Like, if a player doesn't get scored on in his debut, it is automatically considered a good debut. <laughs> right? Yeah, that, pretty much. That, that's just how it is. And yeah. I don't think I don't think that attributing that to the Leafs changing their style of play really makes a ton of sense. Um, especially, you have to also remember that like the Marty's and Leafs exist in very different contexts. Where like the Marty's basically have the highest payroll in the league by a huge mm-hmm. amount. They they just have better talent than most teams. I think um, the Leafs. Yeah have i guess a high payroll but it's it's not quite the same their systems are different maybe you can argue and if jeff is arguing hey the marty system is better for xyz reason okay i I can buy that to a degree but i don't think that it's like infecting these players minds like a disease and causing them to play more conservative or whatnot um in any like particular way yeah i think that kind of adds up there it's just if if our position is going to be that mike babcock is genuinely hampering this team so badly that in each case he makes all of his players worse i don't buy that i just don't think that we have enough to establish that you know so yeah um i have one also this one is from a player um if you're done with uh, that quote are you good yes i'm done okay so, as you may remember, back in the heady days of the preseason, uh, a player named Scott Sabarin for the Ottawa Senators, who was at the time on a tryout, was running around, throwing head hits, slew fitting, playing generally dirty because he is an AHL enforcer. And he got into a bit of a confrontation with Austin Matthews, and Austin Matthews made a point of trying to look at the name on the back of his jersey in this kind of showdown. And of course, the subtext of that gesture is, hey, who the fuck are you, buddy? Um, and, you know, that has a certain tone to it coming from a superstar like Matthews. And so Mark Borowicki, who is sort of like the pseudo-captain of the Senators at this point, uh, had a quote that was transcribed by Lisa Wallace of CTV News, uh, sorry, of the Canadian press, And it went like this. I thought it was a little disrespectful, to be honest. We're not all blessed with Austin Matthews' talent, unfortunately, but I truly wish I was. Some of us have to do it the hard way. 
I don't have his God-given talent, and I'm sure Sabby would tell you he doesn't either. And for some of us, we don't get the accolades and the glory, but we're still legitimate hockey players and we've worked a ton to get here. I'm not sure Austin appreciates what it's like being a fighter down there in a role he's never had to play. That is tough. It's really tough when you know you're going to fight double digits every year and ride the bus around and get paid 70k. It's a really hard, thankless job, and the fact that he's stuck with it for seven years shows a lot of perseverance and commitment and honestly mental strength, as it would have been easy to pack it in. Every element of this quote is so full of shit, I guess is how I want to put it, <laughs> that I want to just slam my head into a desk. This actually made me deeply upset for a lot of reasons, which I'm now going to share with you. First of all, when the guy's running around, like, throwing cheap shots and stuff like that, I don't really buy that he's this just heroic boy with a halo over his head who's just done so much and done everything the right way. When you cheap shot guys, guys are going to, at the least, trash talk you back. Um, and while we're on the topic of trash talk, if you've ever been on a hockey rink while people are competing on it, you know that there is a ton of stuff that gets said that is kind of sniping, that goes back and forth in every circumstance. This one happened to stand out because it was a gesture that could be caught by the cameras. Um, but a ton of this stuff goes on and getting super precious about it all of a sudden is really disingenuous in light of how all hockey rinks operate, including in the NHL. On a, People say stuff. On HBO's 24-7, yeah. I think when it was like the Rangers and some other team, uh, Tom Sestita was like, talking trash and and brad richards who was on the rangers at the time was like this is this is like a dream day for you buddy go back to the ahl like what are you why are you even talking to us <laughs> and people loved it and he was right yeah people yeah, pe people loved Tom it Sestito. um yeah absolutely. and so much worse gets said every game like even, even yesterday people uh someone caught um domi mic'd up max domi mic'd up when kapanen um threw his stick and then Petrie scored on the penalty shot. He's like, oh, attaboy, Captain, you fucking idiot. Yeah. L like, that, that's that's the record. That's par for yeah. the course. That's fine. That Yeah, that happened like 90% of the games that I ever played at a very low level. Yeah. Um, this stuff is, you know, like, this stuff is meaningless. Um, it's a little bit of chirping. And frankly, also, um, the amount of stuff that guys get kind of high and mighty about apparently like this in hockey is so weird one because it doesn't correspond with reality because we all know what as we've said it's actually like and two you look at the nba guys go on podcasts and talk about like don't worry about the championship or whatever it's like it's above you um you know and then suddenly when a guy does a little you know glance at the back of the jersey it's like he's violated the the sacred tenets of our constitution or something like that but going on with this point where it's like, it's so hard to be a fighter in the AHL. One, I don't have a ton of sympathy for that, frankly, because it's like, you've chosen this role. Uh, I don't really think it should exist. But, you know, you want to go out and, you know, knock guys' teeth out. That's fine. Don't expect me to pin a medal on you for it. Uh, ride the bus around and get paid 70k. I don't think Mark Wiki is aware that $70,000 a year is a lot of fucking money. For a lot of people and it's fine i don't resent the salary but i do resent the kind of holier than thou stuff about how hard it is to live on an amount of money that is greater by a fair bit than the average salary in this country 
Um, that's just, you know, kind of silly. And it says, you know, the whole subtext of this whole thing is, um, you know, Matthews is just oh so very talented and, you know, a lot of the rest of us aren't very talented. And I can't help thinking, you realize that you were the best player or close to it at every level you played going up through the ranks. If you've made the NHL, you probably were, unless you were an extraordinary late bloomer. Uh, literally thousands of players had to confront at some point when someone was better than them. Uh, now you've come to face with it. It's not some sort of grand tragedy that in entitles you to pity when you play this way. And so... I think anyone who's also ever played a noting, competitive sport... You know, like, like I said, we're talking about my tennis yeah. career a lot um, on this pod, but like, what, <laughs> I played tennis a lot as a kid. I, I, I played competitively. I, I went to lots of provincial and national tournaments. And at some point, I realized I am a decent provincial player in Ontario, which is only one part of Canada, which is a, not a huge tennis country in the grand scheme of things. I'm not going to make it. There are people who are better than me. They just are. Right? And yeah, that's not a fun realization, but it's something that literally everyone in the world at everything that they do faces. Even now, I'm, I'm studying um, math and stats as a PhD pro in a PhD program, and I see people who are better at math than me, and they, they just get it faster. They're, they're just smarter than me. And it's like, yeah, well, that, that's, that's life. There's people who are better than you at things. Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't really make it unique or anything like that's one of the most common human experiences you know I, I had that with law there were some things that i just was not very good at you know i was not a terrific you know courtroom presence in law for a lot of reasons and i would watch people who were much better than me and i would have to acknowledge that as much as you know i would could work at it i could get better i was not going to be as good as them and so the whole aura of this quote is really just kind of setting up the like we have this golden boy who's been so privileged and entitled and we have this other very hard-working guy and it's all contrived one it's a reaction to something that is totally fine and two it's playing on a totally made-up narrative that doesn't really correspond to real life in any way um it also minimizes the work that I austin matthews has had to do to get to the level he's yeah, at. Like, Austin you know. Matthews is absolutely blessed with talent that most NHL players do not have, but he also had to cultivate that. Yeah, like, I don't think he rolled out of bed and became the, you know, the best snap shooter in the world. Um, you know, like, whatever you think about his behavior and stuff in, in other respects lately that we've talked about, his work ethic at improving his shot is undeniable. He's made himself what he is to a large extent. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of just playing for pity here. I'd, I'd also like to note, Mark Borowicki's career earnings are about $6.7 million. I'm like, you know, <laughs> that whole, we just have to grind it out and work so hard. It's like, you're in a competitive league and yes, there are hierarchies in it of talent and ability, but that's life. It's a competition, um, especially in sports anyway. Yeah, and, and, and so I'm not you doubting, have to I'm not doubting that, that. <laughs> Borowicki and Sabarin have had to work very hard. I'm sure they have. And it yeah. isn't easy to be a, a fighter in the AHL. It takes a big toll on your body. And, you know, it's probably not something that a lot of people love doing. It, uh, they'd rather be a 30-goal scorer. 
but it does come across as a bit tone deaf. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd rather be a 30 goal scorer in the NHL too. Yeah. We, we all would. Oh no, I can't because people are better than me. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, granted, you know, I had to, to come to that realization a hell of a lot younger than apparently Scott Sabber and his aptitude. Cause it turned out I wasn't all that great when I was about nine, but I do, you know, I, I resent this stuff and it is, you know, it's playing to so many different things here where you have, you know, the good hard working class hero and stuff like that. When it's like all of this stuff is just made up. And it, again, I, I think the part that really bothers me the most is just how much chirping that anyone who's played hockey actually knows goes on mm -hmm. and how mild this is compared to most of it and how precious a response this is. So anyway, I'm glad we dunked the senators on the first game. That was at least a, a relief. Yes. Okay, so I think that's pretty much everything we wanted to cover, correct? Yep, that's all I got. Great. Um, so you can catch all of mine and Foodman's stuff on PendulumPlanetPuppets.com. Season starting, we're ramping up our coverage. Uh, we have game recaps, previews for every game. All Leafs news and analysis is, uh, analyses are, are there as well. You can also follow us on Twitter at RBNATFoodman. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week.